This is AV Week. Episode number 12 for October 28th, 2011. Bionic Eyelids. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of news and information. I am your host, Tim Albright. Hello. With us this week uh, is Dawn Mead. She is known as AV Dawn. Hello, Dawn. Hi, Tim. Uh, Also with us is George Tucker. He is the engineering coordinator for World Stage. Hello, George. Hello. And back in the saddle, finally. Um, he, he quit his job. He's living on the streets, and I had to find him in the gutter. His name is Michael Drainer. He is the manager of the Sound and AV Systems for Tech Electronics in St. Louis. How's it going, everyone? Good. Uh, yesterday, uh, this, we're taping this on, on Friday, October 28th. Uh, yesterday, CE Pro in conjunction with Cedia, held something called a virtual trade show. And this is the first time that I had ever heard of it. I know that they've done them before, but it was my first uh, exposure to it. It was at ceprolive.com. It had a, a virtual lounge area, which my estimation is basic. It was basically like a, a, like a live chat. Uh, that was kind of neat. There was people from CE Pro and, and other uh, organizations from, from EH Publications, uh, as well as people from Cedia. Uh, they had an auditorium where you had keynotes, and they had a virtual floor show where you had virtual booths. Here's here's my takeaway from it, and, and I'll get you guys' reaction to it. This was not going. This is not going to replace the Cedia show. This is not going to replace the Infocom show uh, in, in June every year. However, it was an interesting uh, experience because, if, and you guys have all been to shows. Sometimes you just want to look around and browse. I guess is the best way to put it. And it was nice not to have you know some somebody uh, you know coming up to you and, and trying to swipe your badge. Uh, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it was nice just to get the information and 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 move on my own merry way. Um, is this something that is maybe the future of not obviously not again not not taking over or replacing the big shows, but something that, that people like CE Pro and, and, and other organizations can put on once a month, once every couple months. And you, you know, you, if you have time, you, you can stop by. And if you don't, no big deal, because in a couple months it would be advisable. Michael, you're an integrator in St. Louis. You have guys in, you know, coming in and out of your office. You have guys that are busy all the time, at least hopefully they are. Uh, is something like this where they can get some education or get some information about a supplier, whether it's residential or, or pro, where they can sit at their desks for maybe an hour and have it a, a one-on-one with like an engineer from Sennheiser or Bosch? If my guys are sitting at their desk for an hour carrying on conversations, then we've got a problem, right? I mean, I, I, you know, what it comes down to is there are many different avenues to get information. And I attended a show very similar to this uh, for Digital Signage Expo. They did an online version of their trade show. And, you know, it was kind of interesting. It, was a, it had a lot of uh, really neat graphical interfaces and whatnot. But I found it kind of corny at the same time. You'd go into How a room, so? you'd go into a room and, and you still had the guy approaching you. Now, I, I didn't go to the CE Pro thing, so I don't know 
how the interaction was there. But somebody would walk up and they would start talking to you, chatting. Hi, my name's so-and-so. Give me your email address. Give me your phone number. They're wanting all your information right up front. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just didn't find a whole lot of value in that. I could get the information I needed by just going to the website, getting the spec sheets that I needed, or contacting my manufacturer's rep and asking the specific question I had at my convenience yeah. without trying to coordinate schedules to sit at the desk at a certain time so that I can access this content at a certain time. Just give it to me on your website. Let me download it. Let me download the, the speeches and the presentations on demand when I want it, how I want it, not with this little wrapper around and, it. So. And they, they do have the on-demand stuff too. And, and Don, you're a consultant, is, is, finding, is having a one-on-one with the people who make the product important to you first of all and would doing it virtually or doing it uh, over the computer or even doing it over skype be beneficial or is this you know like michael said if you're sitting at the computer for an hour there's a problem well you know it really depends on the situation sometimes you can handle things online or on the telephone or you know on skype other times you need that face-to-face interaction you need that hands on the box interaction which is what you miss on a virtual trade show um, I also miss this CE Pro one, but I've been to a couple of virtual trade shows now. I think that they have their place. Um, I rather enjoyed being able to watch the live keynotes, um, be able, being able to not only watch them, but then download them and have them accessible on my computer when mm-hmm. I wanted to go back and see what did that expert say about topic A. Whereas when I go to the live trade shows and go to a keynote, unless you have a video camera or a, or a you know cassette recorder, you miss things you're not going to get everything as handy as you do when it's you know virtual and you can come back to it so i rather enjoyed my virtual trade show experiences but i didn't do a ton of booth to booth so to speak going and i mean because they did come right up to you and email or text you can i help you with anything 99 percent of the time i just said i'm just browsing i'll get in touch with you if i have questions and the, the shows I was at, that was sufficient. They, you know, left me alone then. But the, the ability to get all the info you needed right away on your desktop, you didn't have to worry about bringing home boxes of, of literature or anything. Amen, I, sister. I, I thought it was really great. The only thing that I truly missed is, you know, I, I like my swag, and there's no swag with the <laughs> they, they, they The one that I went to, they did have a drawing for an iPad. Of course, I didn't win, but... You know, they they, they nice. tried. Yeah. Well, and you, and you do bring up a valid point, you know, being able to go back and regurgitate the content. And there, there was definitely some value in that portion of it. I think just in, in my particular activities day to day, I don't have the, the schedule. And, and a lot of people like me don't have the schedule to sit down and allocate an hour and a half, two hours to sit in a virtual trade show. Um, it's difficult enough just to go away to trade shows or just to allow vendors and manufacturer reps to come in for 45 minutes. So I, I think it's, it's one of those things. It's not necessarily a dig on the trade show itself. It's just one other thing vying for time of people in the industry. You just need to manage your time better. <laughs> I knew he was going to go there. Well, but it's true because the other the other avenues don't let up, right? I know, so, so I it's know. One, it's one other thing. And, that, and you, you mentioned trying to get away to a trade show. And, I, and again, this is not going to replace either right. TV or Absolutely or not. But it, the combination of being able to download it, like, like Dawn said, and having it kind of not necessarily on your time because obviously – this some of this stuff is going on live, right. but the ability to go back and 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 say you know here's an opportunity if you have some time during lunch or, or you have a couple hours you can you can uh, block off you know to to have a one on one I I I at least found found some value with it. 
Uh, George, I know that you're a live guy, so you hate this thing. Uh, uh, it not takes necessarily, <laughs> just it like did. I don't hate you know doing remote education. Um, uh, for me, the, any kind of online trade show would have to be very specific, though. Uh, I'm not mm-hmm. going there to see a collection of different solutions. I want to talk to maybe the guys that do all the media servers, and I would do that so that I could have a one-stop, talk to them, get information, and move aside. That would be beneficial to me. Um, otherwise, you know what? It just feels like me playing around in Second Life or World of Warcraft without the adventure. So. <laughs> without, without the quests. You know, it's interesting you quest. say that because I, I was at a um, an education show not too long ago, and there was a – I don't remember what the university was, some um, uh, private university in the state of Missouri. They use Second Life to conduct their staff meetings. There are a number of educational yeah, it places was, that it was interesting. Life. And then I found out that there's major corporations who do this. Mm-hmm. It's like a whole other oh, yeah, yeah. online culture I wasn't oh, yeah. aware of. Absolutely. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, th- and this is not anything uh, about CE Pro or the CE Pro Live, but for the last few weeks I have been going back and forth with my Cedia folks. And um, the ESCI that came out of Cedia, the, the ESC, that's what they wanted themselves to be called. I, I, I have come up with a, a mascot, as it were, so every time you think you hear the word esky, I want you to think of the Ewoks. <laughs> that is their new mascot to me. I'm going to get hate okay. for that one. Okay. Because that's what I think of. I think of a little free little guy, esky, <laughs> with a spear. I want you to see the responses on that one. <laughs> You're a little too detailed. So you've been thinking about this too. <laughs> He's it had way too much time. Me. I don't know why. It just ever since the ever since the guys came back from from Cedia, and I think it was Rich uh, Fergoza who who brought it up um, and said that uh, they they were you know ESCs, which, which was the 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 what the what Cedia has to say you know the, the contractors to call themselves now, and I think he's the one who coined the phrase es, phrase esky. And ever since then, this this image of a small little furry creature has been creeping in my brain, and now I've got it now. It's a, it's an Ewok. You know, blame George Lucas for that one. So, you need a, you need a hobby, sir. <laughs> I do. I'm sorry. Like like making full size reproductions of battleships with matchsticks or something. Because really, I can make. Don't give him ideas, I can make please. The Millennium Falcon. <laughs> please don't give him ideas. Uh, He's a Han Solo freak. He'll go out and build the Millennium, Millennium Falcon, Falcon, and then he'll turn. Uh, Chewbacca into an Ewok. <laughs> he shot first. I'll give him that. Michael Papel or people. I don't care because I don't like him. Uh, he ran M- MCSI um, down in Florida for a few years. Ran it into the ground uh, so much so that he got sent to pr- or was 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 being charged. Um, the uh, the district judge came down and and basically this guy was was facing. Um, Ten, up to ten, eight to ten years for for what he did, and, and basically what what he's being charged with is cooking the books, uh, hiding the debt, and and not really coming clean. It was a publicly, uh, it was a the company that had that had shareholders and and thirteen hundred employees and all, and all this stuff. This guy ran it into the ground, um, so much so that he was being charged with with something illegal. He's facing up to ten years. He got seven days, one week in prison. Um. Yeah, he also has to pay a five million dollar fine. But George, I'll start with you. Is this is this fair? MCS MCSI uh, Incorporated was was a computer company, but it was also an AV company in Florida. Is this fair for a guy who 
basically ruined the lives of 1,300 employees and, and almost 300 investors? Or was justice served here? <laughs> I, well, I, I've only been following this case a little bit on the side. I mean, you couldn't avoid it in some of the trade magazines. But yeah. my first reaction was, I'm doing it wrong. Because the guy, yeah. How did people get away with this? You know what I mean. And your point exactly that. The, the if you read the article full through, the judge says, well, there was you know concern, and people wrote in and talked to the judge directly about the the, the effect on the family and how people depend on him. And okay, what I'm, about the 1,300 people I was that, say, that yeah, families I, depended on as well? I'm terribly sorry, but if I go out and kill somebody, the judge is not going to take into consideration that I'm the sole breadwinner for for my wife and two kids. I don't know if I would make that reference or the the, the connection to the killing, but yeah, it's still. I mean, white collar crime is being given this pass. Um, <laughs> the second thought I had when I read about it, and I'm thinking white collar crime, all I could think is Occupy Pepel. <laughs> huh? Oh, jeez, Louise. Is that his name? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I got now, it now. I'll tell you. I'll tell you this right now. It, yeah, it, it gave me a turn of the stomach, and I'll bet even money he'll be back in court before the year is uh, before the next year is out. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be, I, and you know, I'm by no means an attorney or a lawyer, law expert when it comes to law, but I'm sure that there's going to be some, you know, he's got the the criminal trials, and then I don't know if there's going to be some civil suits that follow. But what I found interesting is this this one line where it says, "The judge declined to order Propel to pay any restitution, saying that it would not be practical because the number of employees and investors affected." Really. So you're going to let well, him off just because of the number of people? No, I, 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 I get it. That, that's one part. I actually do agree with the judge. There's no point in wasting the ink to make this guy pay hundreds of million dollars in restitution when all he's going to do is turn around and, and file bankruptcy. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. That's true, too. But I don't know. I just, but, I just think the whole thing's – go ahead, Don. I, I was going to say, but on the other hand, I mean, by declining – to order restitution, even if the people know they're never going to see a cent of it, at least they have that sense of justice that he was ordered to pay me back because he screwed up. That is he right. did wrong, and it's been recognized that he did wrong. And, I mean, it, it's just obscene that people get away with this. Yeah. You know, there are kids out there, you know, idiot kids that get longer prison sentences for, you know, graffiti than this guy's getting for ripping off millions of dollars and, and basically destroying thousands of people's lives i mean that's that's that i it's one of those times that you know whether i agree with them or not it's stories like this that make me think maybe those occupy people aren't entirely lunatics well there was a you know i was gonna say there there was a a a piece going around the the uh the twitterverse and 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 facebook um last week that said you know there was a homeless guy who who got sent up for a couple years for stealing hundred dollars, and there was this, uh, you know, high executive CEO who got a slap on the wrist for, you know, bilking a company of millions of dollars. So, right. I mean, I mean, it, it's definitely a miscarriage of justice, you know. And I think he should have gotten more, either more order of restitution or more prison time or something, because you have to let people know that it's wrong. You know, the whole point of the prison system is to act as a deterrent. And if you're just going to get them, let them off a slap on the wrist, going to do it again. Yeah. Well, that's just you it. E- either, either, either order the restitution, force him to file bankruptcy, and let him feel the pain of what he caused everybody else, or let him serve the prison sentence, one or the other. But he's getting off scot free. You know, the, the part of the decision was that the, she said uh, the judge said that she would have to do he would have to do community service. 
my opinion, he should do community service helping out each one of the families throughout the next two years that yeah. were laid off because of his responsibilities. That would be equal justice. Find them jobs. That's, that can be your community exactly. service. Exactly. Or clean their house every week or something. <laughs> <laughs> Have to face to, to them. Have to Harry... be there in their presence. That's right. To rip off Harry Potter, turn him into their house elf and make them get in the kitchen and, yep. and clean the floors. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, Steve Jobs passed away a, a, a few weeks ago, and uh, Walter Isaacson was already in the process of writing a biography at Steve Jobs' behest, no less. Um, I actually started sort of reading this book, um, and uh, Isaacson writes in, in the introduction that Jobs contacted him in 2004 about writing the uh, about writing his biography, and Isaacson's first response was, "Not yet." You know, I'll, I'll write your biography in, in, in ten or twenty years after you retire, and, and all this jazz. Uh, one thing led to another, and this is this is from Isaacson's book, uh, or from yeah, from Isaac's, Isaacson's book about Steve Jobs. In two thousand nine, Steve's wife called Walter Isaacson and said, "If you're going to do it, do it now." So uh, they got together, and, and um, they had a number of of conversations. And one of them, and this is from from uh, from our, our buddies over at Rave Pubs, uh, Walterson said that Jobs was talking about his vision for improving the TV experience. Uh, Jobs said, "quote I'd like to create an integrated television set that is completely easy to use. It would be seamlessly synced with all of your devices, and with iCloud, of course, talking about the the, the Apple um, uh, cloud service." It will have the simplest user interface you can imagine. I finally cracked it. Guys, when somebody like Steve Jobs says, I finally cracked it, uh, I, I think the guys at Rave's, Rave Pubs have a, have a good point here. It, the, their question is, is Apple HDTV Steve Jobs' final legacy? Don, do you think that, that he has one more thing uh, from beyond the grave here? Um, you know, I, I, I would not be surprised put it that way. Uh, he has been party to some of the greatest innovations of the past 30 years in technology. It wouldn't surprise me, you know, we, we have authors all the time that leave manuscripts unfinished and, and notes unfinished that ghostwriters and, and family members can finish years after their death and publish. And we still have rappers that were deceased a decade ago, still releasing albums from their recorded tracks. Yeah. So I would not be shocked at all to find someone like Steve Jobs having, you know, a, a great idea or a couple of great ideas left on the table with notes, with, with things in production or things in beta. I mean, it, this stuff doesn't come to market overnight. You know, he doesn't wake up one day and say, I've got it, and it's in the stores the next day. So I think we'll be hearing from him for quite a while yet to come. George, is this the next big thing? Apple TV? Real real TV? <laughs> Given... Given what the main point of this article, I think, too, that was sort of buried in a paragraph was it's the ecosystem that's going to be the selling point. And mm -hmm. he's got the backbone, the framework to make this happen. I have no doubt, given his um, ability to redesign and reconceive things that we don't we never thought we would go the way he, he says, yes, absolutely. This is the best way. Uh, that that it will be a success if if that is, and he's been trying to do this for years. I mean, he had Apple TV back in the '90s. They tried it again, even with the Apple TV little the little uh, Netflixy type uh, hard disk boxes. Uh, he he's got the ecosystem to do it. Um, but, but even in parts this more, as I was listening to an NPR interview with the uh, the author of the of the biography, and he talked about how when Jobs was going in for an operation 
they would put the mask on him and he was, you know, half out of it with the sedatives and everything else. And he tore the mask off saying, I hate this thing. Give me another one. And then he was like, this is the worst design thing I've ever seen. I need to, I need to find a way to make it better. Give me five different masks so I can try them. And this was his sort of MO of give me five options. Yeah. And it's just that incredible focus. He might just break it where most of us don't see an opportunity. He's going to make an entire new market that could either help or hinder us. But I don't, I don't, I'm uh, on pins and needles to see what it is actually. But that hasn't that been the nature of his legacy anyway. I mean, he's really kind of revolutionized the mobile devices, the portable devices, the, the way we interact with various technologies. And I'm not a bit surprised to, to see this possibly coming down the line. Well, and he wasn't. The, people made made uh, comparisons between him and and uh, Alexander Graham Bell and and right. and Henry Ford, and um, my man just went blank. Light bulb. <laughs> what, Thomas Jefferson or Ed Edison? Edison. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> that right there is the product of a rural public school system right there. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, Thomas Edison. That's what Thomas I said. Jefferson. Edison. Eventually, I said Edison. Eventually you said Edison. <laughs> and I don't know that that is valid because Edison was a pure inventor. Right. You can argue different right. things and you can argue ACDC in, in, his, in his fight with Tesla all day long. But some of the stuff that he did, he really did conceive it himself, and he really did mm-hmm. come out of it him, himself. Jobs never really did that. Jobs took a, a idea and made it better. MP3 player was not a, the, the iPod. The iPod was not the first MP3 player. No. It was the best one. <laughs> you know, the the Macintosh was not the first personal computer at the time. You could probably argue that it was the best one. Uh, Pixar was not the first computer animated uh, company I would still say it's the best one and so would my three year olds <laughs> but, 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 th- but I think that's the legacy that he leaves I think the legacy that he leaves is taking products that we currently have and technologies we currently use and making them what you just said better um, that's really that the Apple MO and that's what Jobs built and this is no different I mean we have HDTV we've got control systems we've got interfaces and media delivery systems we've got all that if he can take all that and make it all nice and easy the way he said, and especially using the, the new apps that are available on the iPhone 4 and, and some of the mm-hmm. voice recognition things that are going on, well, you, you're going to have an amazing product. Can you imagine – I, I don't have an Apple device. I have, a, I have an Android phone. But can you imagine Siri in your, in your TV in your house? You say Siri or, app, or however you, you address the, the software. Uh, you know, Find me – uh, good Eats. Find me Alton Brown and, and find me Good Eats. And up on the screen there shows you know what's currently playing, what's on your HD, what's on your DVR, and you say, "Siri, play you know episode five ninety four or whatever." That that to me is the simplest interface. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what I get out of this. Yeah, me too. That, that, that's where I see this this heading. Uh, we'll we'll stay on the on the Apple uh, on the Apple train for a minute here. They were um, they were awarded a patent for the iOS swipe to scroll gesture. Uh, Don, is this going to be an issue for people like AMX and uh, Crestron and, 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 and you know Claire Controls and other devices that, or other control companies that have graphical uh, user interfaces for their control companies? Um, is this going to be an issue for them? Because a lot of those guys have have come out with something similar to the iPhone interface because it's so ubiquitous. 
Um, I mean, it very likely could be. I mean, we're going to be looking at a lot of licensing issues or a lot of rethinking of how we do things to make it e just as easy as the swipe without actually using a swipe. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm more surprised that it was actually approved as a patent because it is such a ubiquitous thing. Granted, you know, they came up with it first, but I mean, didn't almost turning the page of a book come up with that first? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, it's it's a it's a gesture that that humans have used for generations. So I'm I'm really surprised that the patent office actually gave it to them as a patent. Once enforcement happens, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, my my Android phone, I swipe to unlock. You know, oh, um, iPhone, wow, you swipe. Yeah. To unlock. Yeah, it, it's everywhere. Everybody swipes for everything these days. So. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a nightmare to enforce. First of all, it, you know, it may be a losing battle on their front. But second of all, I'm just shocked that it actually was given to them as a patentable idea. Well, and some of that is also the the state of the patent office too. I mean, that's <laughs> you know, there have been people championing the fact that we should not patent software because it's not you know innovative and stuff like that. So, George, hey, is this well, Mike? Go ahead. Mike, my, my question is: Wasn't the slide bolt the first slide to unlock? Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, you know, hey, hey, Iron Age man, you missed your patent, right? Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, come on. Oh, and, and to your, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like to unlock. Yes. Um, it's more Russian it. than. I mean, all right. Well, you know. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> that being said, it's, it, this seems to me almost the inverse of that apophical story about the patent office where in the 1800s some director of the patent office wanted to shut it down because there was nothing left to invent. Yes. We're on the sort of almost opposite end of that of them saying, well, there's everything left to invent and every nuance is a new patent. You know, I mean, look at it this way. We eat food. Our experiences in what we do and what we eat change our DNA. It actually modifies our DNA to a certain extent. Are they going to start patenting that process? How far does it go? And I don't want to give, you know, too much to saying you can't patent anything, but come on, guys, there are certain simple acts that, yes, you were the first to do it, and if they're using the exact same mechanism as you, then you have a right to go on that patent. But I better, I haven't read through the entire patent, obviously, but that patent better be very specific to the very specific, definite way that they do it. Yeah. Otherwise, I think it's just, it's, it's unfair to, uh, to innovation. I do too. And, and, and it does state in the article here that, that the abstract applies to handheld computers, tablet computers, personal digital assistants, and cellular telephones, and that it's the movement of a point of contact on a touch-sensitive display. But it's still just a basic human gesture that they're patenting and trying to enforce. And this is the same company, remember, that trademarked the term Apple, which is a common word, mm -hmm. and then tried to take down other organizations using that word they went after Apple Records, who were the recording company that the Beatles used or founded or something in the UK. They went after Apple Records that it existed decades before yeah. Apple, the computer company, existed. And they went after them, obviously, when they were taking all of their analog records and putting them on digital format, saying, we own Apple in the digital world. You can't use it. <laughs> and, you know, I can't remember the outcome yeah. of that case. But I think the judge said enough's enough. Come on, guys. Yeah. And, and that, it's, it's just going to be another nightmare like that where people are going to fight back, hopefully, because it's what we do. We swipe. We, you know, <laughs> I go back to the book. I, I'm, a, I'm a book nerd. You know, I, I've always swiped to turn my pages yeah. and I swipe to turn the page when I'm reading an ebook. It's 
it's not an Apple thing. It's a human thing. No, but now, Dawn, you have to pay Apple a certain percentage of your book sales. Because it, try you to collect. <laughs> you know, one of, the, um, one of the actual results of that Apple Records versus Apple Computer is the uh, Sosumi sound. Uh, if you've ever looked at that classic Apple sound, that ding mm-hmm. sound, mm-hmm. Its, its name is Sosumi. Almost looks like sashimi. What mm-hmm. it really means is, all right, the judge said there's a certain agreement we have to abide by with you, Apple Records. But guess what? So sue me. Here it is. And they made noise because <laughs> it was about right. audio, and it's called right. Sasumi. Go look it up right. if you're an Mac guy. There it is. Tim's looking it up right <laughs> I'm now. I'm looking it up now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, you know, one of the things that, that's going to come out on this is the enforceability of it because what you're going to find is, you know, there's something very unique about the way that Apple does their scrolling. Um, and the question is, you know, is the Android scrolling the same rate, the same pace? Does it, is the decay time as long whenever you let your finger off of it? You know, how, you know, detailed is this thing going to really get? Is it just the gesture of swiping or is it the way in which the swipe works? So we'll see what, we'll see what happens once they, oops, (laughs) what was that? I was trying to get the sound up, so. Gotcha. All right, you're listening to AV Week as I try to play the Sosumi sound. Uh, with us this week is AV Dawn. She's Dawn Mead. She's a a blogger, a consultant. She's part of uh, Gary K's Rave Blogs Brave Blog Squad. Uh, so is George Tucker. Thankfully, I don't have to say those three words again. Uh, he's also from World Stage, and uh, the Yahoo on the other side of my desk is Michael Drainer. He's the manager of the Sound and AV Systems. For tech electronics. Uh, speaking of Gary, uh, the uh, Ray Publications had another article I would like to bring up, simply because the name of this meter I think is really cool. Uh, Harkness Screens launches the Lumens meter. George, you're a standards lover. <laughs> uh, I say with tongue firmly in cheek. Is uh, is this something really cool, or is this just a light meter? with the name Lumens Meter slapped on top of it. It's Lumens? I thought you said Lupins. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but no Lam- one gets that um, L- Lambert. <laughs> your life or your Lupins. Lumens. I mean, um, I love this thing. I think this is really cool. This is sort of the bigger version. I mean, look, we have photo- photographers who use these light meters to get the accurate reading. Yeah. We've done it on uh, the graphic screens for Macs and other devices for those graphic artists who are d- using uh, stuff. You would, you know, put that suction cup on the screen and get it to be true color. It's a really important, especially for the size of screens that they're saying this thing is applicable to. I don't know if this is really for your average home theater, you know, maybe for the sort of mega million dollar ones. But it's a really cool tool. As to how uh, beneficial it would be for your average AV installer, I don't know. But the, the image they have in the uh, in the little marketing material is a big cinema screen. Uh, and its point is to make sure that you get even light distribution, which we all know is really important, especially mm-hmm. in 3D. I can't believe I said that word in a positive manner. <laughs> but, um, you know, and so that it, there's an even and you don't get any hot spots or there's none of that glare or the fuzziness it, it's a great tool to have and it seems to be very simple to use you don't have to have this awkward architecture it's just this one little box that almost looks like an SPL meter yeah it does um, they do they do make some very big warnings in this thing though like you know uh, you know, don't keep the light on and white with your projector for too long and all that kind of stuff which is kind of very interesting to uh, see that it would really actually damage the lensing of the projectors 
Well, and this thing, if I'm reading this, the, the material, right, it, it spits it out in, in foot Lamberts, which uh, for projector guys and screen guys, this is important because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's always kind of difficult. And it's, it's always it, I'm sure that somebody out there is really smart, I'm much smarter than I, I am. When it comes to you know how many foot Lamberts per square inch, or, or I'm sorry, per square foot, and do you do Lamberts or do you do nits or do you do all this other fancy math that, again, I'm not smart enough to know. So, <laughs> anywho, Don, do you think? It, well, go ahead, Michael. No, no, go ahead. Are you going to buy one of these for your guys? Well, you know, I'm interested in seeing exactly how it works. Uh, I, I didn't get to read you too, turn it on, too deep into the article. You put it at the screen. <laughs> yes, I understand that. I mean, as you far as... You push the button. The, you know, Some what, numbers what, come out on the LED. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else want to slap him? Because I'll, uh, I'll be glad to put one in for you. <laughs> since I'm, I'm here. sorry. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> I'm actually waiting for it to show up on consultant specs, and maybe Don can speak to that because, you know... It, you get those – we've got our methods for verifying that we're meeting, you know, certain quality criteria yeah. and things like that. Um, so I'm just waiting for a consultant to say it must be this particular meter and it must read 30-foot Lamerts at 10 feet, whatever the case may be. And then, of course, I'll have to put them in all my technicians' trucks and, you know, that, that'll be the end of it. But um, I, it's definitely a good method for confirming that mm. your design meets what your original criteria were and and – you know, I think that we need something like that. And so if that, it does, I, if it does what they say it does, I, th- I think it'll be a great benefit. Yeah, Don. For that, I'm really, really excited. All joking aside, with Yahoo, uh, I'm really excited because it does give you a. This is really what we're getting. It's an objective measurement. Yeah. It's, it's not somebody, right. somebody's subjective opinion. It's an objective measurement of what the light output is of that projector. And I also see, you know, we do a lot of uh, preventive maintenance and service agreements and things like that. Um, exactly. So, so I, yeah. I, I see this a tool that I put into my inspectors and my technicians' hands. They go out two years after a projector's installed. They can see the degradation of the lamp. Yeah. They can see, you know, what's happening to that product over time. Right. And and I, the last time I appeared on, on the podcast, one of our topics was the the very uselessness of specs, <laughs> particularly things like lumens. I wish I would have been on that one because we would have had a fun time with yeah. that. <laughs> and, and we did. We discussed that, you know, it, it's such a meaningless measurement it is. in a lot of ways because, I mean, I, I came from marketing. I've always been in marketing in the industry. But, you know, for frankly, a lot of BS artists. And anything, anything that can sell your product or make it sound good makes it sound technical. Customers see that and they want this one because it has a higher number than that one. But they don't really mean anything right. when you see them side by side and they look identical, you know. So I think something like this would be fantastic just for the reason that you guys said. It's an objective measurement. We can actually see what we're getting out of the projector. And like you said, on service calls, you can see what's going on with the bulb or the projector or the degradation. You know, down the road, who knows? Maybe we'll find out company A versus company B, one has a better lasting product that's provable as opposed to anecdotal, you right. know? So I, I think there is a very good place for this if it does everything that it's, you know, saying it will. Right. Again, and, I, mar- and, and I think again, that, marketing. <laughs> yeah, again, marketing. So, so, you know, taking this to the next level, you know, what's the step to make this better? And that is to measure ambient light, compare it to projected light and give us the difference in how many foot lamerts you actually have hitting the screen. Not just what's the projector putting on there, but what's the additive effect of the entire environment. So. Well, and something also, a part of that conversation, Don, was about LED projectors mm. right. and the inherent problem with 
uh, getting specs on LED projectors. You you put a, a light meter, and, and I don't know about this meter because I haven't used it on, a, on an LED projector. You put a, a light meter on an LED projector, you're not going to get what it really represents. You you And, and Don and, and, and George and I talked about this. You, you put that up against a, a comparable 2,000 lumens, let's say, projector because it's round numbers. That a, a an LED projector that is as bright to your eye as a 2000 lumens projector is not going to give you 2000 lumens worth of light, right? And, and, and that is the inherent flaw with right. both the current standards and this box. But you know, at least that's a start, yeah, yeah, right. And I'd be interested to see it, uh, you know, see what it what kind of reading it would give us. Well, you know, I, I take it, I just did tuned a big system, um, what Friday. <laughs> And uh, one of the things that, that the consultant and I were talking about is the, the objective versus the subjective measurement. You know, your measurement tools are telling you one thing, but when you look at it, you know it's not right. Yeah. Um, and it, just like an audio, you know, you hear one thing and you know that's not what your meter's telling you. So you have to use the objective to get your baseline, but then you have to qualify that with the subjective measurement at the end of the day. Um, right. The two must go hand in hand. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, from com- commercial integrator, uh, this comes to us from Craig McCormick. Uh, Craig is a diehard Red Sox fan, and for that, I will apologize uh, for any comments that I make as a diehard St. Louis Cardinal fan, which, as we record this, is getting ready to play Game Seven of the World Series. Goodbye, <clears throat> Rangers. I'm sorry. Yeah, that rest, less... rest in peace. Um. He, uh, what it is, is, is it's uh, to get to the AV part of this. Fraunhofer uh, <laughs> dialogue enhancement drowns out, quote unquote, awful announcers. Hmm. Craig has some issues with Joe Buck and Tim McCarver, uh, who they do the Fox uh, broadcasts. Uh, I will, I will say this as much as much about my previous life. Uh, one of my first jobs in radio was at KMOX, which. Uh, for those of you in St. Louis, know that that's that's a big uh, radio station in St. Louis. That's pretty much, pretty much it. But I worked with Joe's dad, Jack, so I have a, a personal um, affinity for for Joe and and for his family. So I'll say that before I go on with with Craig's ripping of of Joe and Tim's um, broadcasting. But basically, Craig goes on to say that he he doesn't much care for uh Joe Buck and Tim McCarver's uh, calling of the World Series. So, uh his thinking is there has to be a better way. Well, um according to Craig, the guys at Fraunhofer IIS um have got this thing and it what basically what it is, they uh they released it at the uh, Audio Engineering Society show in uh, in, in New York City. Um and, and what I'm gathering is, uh, and, and they they uh, they ran it as a, as a pilot program over in, in England. It, it allows uh, anybody watching TV and also radio audiences to individually adjust the volume of dialogue, music, or sound effects within a single broadcast program. Uh, George, is this something that you know Craig's going to be really excited to go out and buy, or is this just you know a gimmick? I've actually seen some of this. Um, I really like it. Uh, I'm a big fan of radio. So when I listen to radio announcers, most of the games I listen to, I really do actually try. I turn on the volume and I listen to the radio broadcast. Why? Because it's much more descriptive. And honestly, I'm half the time I'm sort of distracted by something else I'm doing while I'm watching some sporting event. 
Um, and I agree, there are some of the national announcers which are you know, less than stellar, for, at least for the local fan, if not for the general fan watching across the country, I guess. Um, but my thing is, this should have been possible 10 years ago? Mm -hmm. And I don't see, you know, there's nothing really new to it other than someone's had the ability now, I guess, to get it licensed and get it into boxes that broadcasters will use. Um, I don't know how this bodes for the broadcasters and their uh, agents and, the, and their money, but I would really be able, love to be able to choose which one I want at what level. Absolutely. I love this little box. Well, and, and, and Don, this, this goes back to, I mean, years ago, um, like I said, the, the, in, in St. Louis, uh, Jack Buck was the St. Louis Cardinals, and so I, I knew many people, uh, both in the business and out of the business, who would watch it on television, but turn down the sound and turn on KMOX. So, are there? there, there am, am I reading this right? Are they just kind of making that that use case easier? I think that it does make that sort of thing easier. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I'm a Pittsburgh girl, so you know we used to watch Steeler games and turn off the the, the sound for the national guys and listen to Myron Cope, Yoy, you know, the great late Myron Cope. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic, you know. And and I know my in-laws still do the same thing when they watch the Redskins. They'll turn off the sound of Fox or whatever and put on the, the DC radio so they could hear their announcers talk about their team. But what I find interesting about this and what I think could really make this technology just vital to everybody's everyday life is not even the sports application. I'm a sports fan. I love it for that, that reason. But if it can actually control the music or sound effects, I know a million billion little old ladies and little old men that would just kill for this on their TV when the commercials come on and the music is so loud or the commercial is so loud, yeah. but they have to then crank the volume back up to hear the dialogue on their shows. To be able to control those elements independently I know all the people over a certain age in this nation would just kiss you for inventing it. <laughs> and, you know, even younger folks, I, I, there are times that I do the same thing. I think if it does what it promises, it's a fantastic innovation. I just think it's unfortunate we have to go to an aftermarket third-party device to make that happen when our broadcasters should be taking care of that for us. And I could say that coming from the broadcast world. I built television stations for six years, worked for a local broadcast group. And we tried very hard to try to level that stuff out. But, boy, I'll tell you what, the media companies, they don't like that. They want their commercials mm -hmm. out there long and loud and hard. Oh, yeah. They want to grab their attention. So I think something like this would be a great benefit to the consumer market if it truly does what they say it does. I'm a little concerned about how it does it and, you know, the effects on the audio quality and things like that when you start dealing with phase interactions and shifts and what that does to stereo images and surround sound systems. But when you're talking about grandma – you know, watch it on her old tube TV. I think it would be, it would be, work well. Yeah. Yep. George, in your neck of the woods, and I'm sure you ran straight down there. You were the first one in line because of how much you love 3D. Uh, <laughs> there was the 3D World Conference 2011 in New York City. So yeah, how, no, so, I, so I how was it? No, no, how was it? I mean, you you were the first one in line. You. <laughs> I was. I had a week's supply of popcorn and soft drinks to get me through it. I did. And which uh, which which glasses do you use, George? Because you you have your own personal GT um, three gla D glasses. So do you use the active shuttering ones or the passive shuttering ones? Or no, I actually use Jonathan Post three D glasses. Don't know who that is. There is a wonderful YouTube post of this guy named Jonathan Post. You just look it up. It says three D no glasses. 
in which he connects electrodes to his eyelids and has them shudder in a rhythm so that he doesn't need the act of glasses. He just does it. I tend to think that this is a, uh, a spoof, but it is a hysterical thing to see. Um, Why that's would what you I, do that? I, I don't. Know, because innovation demented. is king. Yes. <laughs> um, what I did like about this article was that they're seriously thinking about and did talk a lot about where the in-between phase is fuzzy, to quote the article, about going from <laughs> the 4K 3D to, from where we currently are. It's not for you and me right now, and I don't think it's for many people at the moment, but they need to push product. And the article even says, the manufacturers are so excited about pushing new product and forcing new formats. And I'm like, you know what, guys? You tried to do this before. Blu-ray's not going to exist very much longer because you took too long to do it, you fought it out, and nobody wants it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, although to, to that end, just quickly, there is a gentleman who, whose um, opinion I respect a great deal that's mentioned in this article, Mark Shubin. If you get the chance to find Mark Shubin online, he is a font of information, an early HDTV engineer and all this other kind of stuff. And one of the people that I actually... Uh, Used to subscribe to a memo that he called, he put out every Monday called Mark Shubin's Monday Morning Memo, which detailed everything about HTTV in the 90s, from prices to technology. Hmm. Uh, and I actually, as an homage, named my very first blog after him, the Tucker Tuesdays Tertiary Tidbits and Technical uh, Trollings. Holy Just as say that ten times. <laughs> yeah, well, but it was an homage when I first thought of making a blog. It was like Mark Shubin's. That's just because it is the preeminent information font. Um, but um, other than them saying this could be cool one day, it's still, as they said, fuzzy. Well, and, and Don, doesn't also, isn't also some of this done being pushed by not just the manufacturers, but also for the con- content creators? Um, every kid's movie, and that's what, you know, I, I, have, I have small children, has both a 3D version and a, and a, and a 2D version, and, and they want to go see the 3D version. Well, you know what? I don't want to go see the 3D version because, first of all, I don't like 3D. Secondly, it costs me 10 bucks more. Right. Uh, you know, th- there, that is definitely a push. Uh, if, if you've read my blog at any length of time, you know I'm not a big, huge 3D fan. I think it's a fad. But right now it's a fad that's making the money, so they're going to keep pushing it. Um, but it's, it's just yet another, you know, let's see how quick we can invent it and, and get people to buy it and sucker them into it. And if it involves changing all the standards all over the industry, well, so be it, which – the manufacturers love and, and the people selling the stuff love to a point, but those that actually have to integrate or change everything or try to upgrade systems, you know, we, we, we don't love so much usually. Um, so we'll see where it goes. We'll see how long it lasts. I kind of think we're on a 3D bubble just based on history with the different phases 3D has come in, you know, over the years since, since the 1920s even. So it goes for a while, really gangbusters, and then it dies off. I'm just waiting for the die-off. Yeah, I'm with you, Don. I'm just, uh, you know, like Tim, I don't want to see the 3D. Um, the the whole deal with um, uh, changing infrastructure, that's a big deal. But I just want those uh, those fancy little 3D to 2D glasses that uh, Tim was telling me about the other day. Oh, yeah. But they mentioned it last week on, on the show. Did um, they? Cedia. Uh, at Cedia Is that where it was? One of the biggest things was the fact that they have uh, glasses now. That will turn your 3D image into 2D. And and that's actually a good thing because some people can't handle 3D physically. I mean, 
if, if, if everybody could handle the effect of 3D, there wouldn't be disclaimers a mile long on every 3D device that's sold, and they wouldn't have already pulled the Nintendo 3D because it was giving kids seizures or whatever. They, they just, you know, quit, quit selling it. So well, I, the, guy, the guy sitting across from me has an astigmatism, um, right. and he can't, Michael can't see 3D. Uh, two years ago... No, it was last year. Which I so, at Infocom last year, yeah. year after year before last at Infocom, they had the 3D pavilion, and Michael and I were sitting in the sweet spot or the hot spot. I can't remember which one they called it, but we're looking at this this um, auto stereoscopic display, and we're sitting exactly standing exactly neck, you know shoulder to shoulder with each other, and I'm looking at the 3D image, and yes, it's 3D, and I get it, and it's you know I think we're looking at an aircraft or something like that, and he can't see it. He sees two images, you know, and so there are, you know, there are legitimate. One, one thing about this real quick. Um, this is um, something that came out uh, actually out of CD that, that I caught this week was Connects uh, Pro Cube Up turns three, 2D into three, 3D. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a device. It's, it's, not, it's not in a shape of a cube, but it's called a cube. Uh, it, in addition to being a 4 by one HDMI uh, switcher, it's also... Uh, does some has some processing things that will also it, it lets you take your 3D picture and, and adjust the depth and scaling. Um, is this something that's interesting, especially from from a depth standpoint? That uh, anybody thinks is cool, or am I just you know? I don't know. I don't know why uh, until, I brought it up. It, I don't like 3D. It, why did I bring it up? The room was silent. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, like well, I gotta say though, I, I will say that before hearing that. Michael can't see 3D. I was about to say, yeah, and the box cures cancer too. Who cares? <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, and I also was looking at how they said you know you can you can you can quantify every little aspect of it and and you know tweak it. I'm like, God, forget the Jonathan Post you know electrodes on the glass. That'll give me a headache just having to see some like dwarf this thing, right? Right. But if 3D ever becomes a standard, that is you know, more standard than not, this is something that I would see someone like Michael or having in my back pocket as, hey, you couldn't see it? Okay, fine. We're going to make it so that your TVs or your vision of that TV is down to a level, forgive me for saying down to, but at a level that you can actually watch. I had heard all the, you know, the, you know, drunks and children and pregnant women shouldn't use the 3DS, you know, 3D thing, but this is a whole new part of it for me. I, I agree. I mean, I, having gone on the record multiple times as being, you know, not anti-3D, but not t- entirely bought into it, I've one of my biggest complaints about it is no if I you're see, anti-3D. No, no, I, I <laughs> we're all anti-3D here. I, I, I think we're we're in agreement. <laughs> I have paid to see 3D movies. I do enjoy the experience sometimes, but I don't want it all the time, and I'm. Too cheap, frankly, to pay for a 3D TV Amen, that may or may not show mm-hmm. everything the way I want to see it when it's not a 3D thing. And so be- prior to a box like this existing, you had to buy a 3D TV and a 3D player and the 3D media to play in the player to play on the screen to get the full effect and to have the great, you know, perfect image. If you had something like this, I can use my existing TV or I can use my existing equipment and upscale it or, you know, what have you, if it works the way I'm, I'm reading it here. And, and having an aftermarket box that's maybe a little expensive but not hugely so, I'm a lot more 
3D friendly, if not 3D welcoming. You know, I'll never be 3D welcoming because it is a fad. But to take advantage of the fad while it's here, I would want a small box I could pay for instead of a whole doggone new system that would cost thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah I think there's so. a, a point here, though, when you said about the, uh, the, the John Cameron. Is that the director? This technology has been around forever, and I, I will make a division. I am against 3D in the home or as a general broadcast medium. Yes. But I did see Avatar, and Avatar did prove that it is plausible to use a technology when you have a story. And that story can be translated into that effect uh, effectively, <laughs> to repeat myself. But right. and so there is that delineation. I would go to see more 3D movies in the theater. I right. wouldn't see them uh, at home. And maybe if I had enough money to create a home theater that is of a size and space that works, maybe I would. But I don't see it becoming a general medium other than that. So there is that delineation, though. Right. When we say we hate it, it's hate it in the home. The only time I will, it, it, I will allow a 3D system in my home is when they have perfected the holodeck. <laughs> and then I will be first in line. Then we'll just live out the movies. Yes. That's a scary day. Uh, this is Second a... Life in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Uh, th- this is a, more of a shout-out and, and a congratulation to uh, our, our friend A.V. Jessica and the, and the folks at AVISPL. Uh, Infocom certified their Project Management Academy. Um, people can earn up to 35 CTS credits, which I think is kind of cool. Um, it's it's a it's a recognition from Infocom about this this academy. Um, Don, is this? I, I don't know much about the the PM Academy because I I don't work for ABISPL. Um, but is this something that other people and other companies should aspire to, or is it just you know they've been at this for so long and and this is just Infocom's way of saying you know yay way to go. Uh, you know. Prior to joining the membership committee of Infocom, which I'm on now, I was a longtime member of Petsy, the Professional oh, Education mm-hmm. and Training Committee. And anything in our industry that provides an opportunity for education and renewal units and certification and advancement of our industry as a whole gets my wholehearted support. So kudos to AVISPL for this and that, that it was good enough or, or effective enough that Infocom is recognizing and certifying it to get renewal units fantastic um the part of me that comes from the integration world still sees avispl as the big guy and the enemy so to speak but (laughs) provided that provided that this project management academy is open to even employees of other integrators that want to come and learn from a certified academy to learn the skills that they would need i think it's a fantastic effort It, it, it proves that they know their stuff and that they're willing to give back to the industry by sharing their knowledge and their experience with others. And I would like to take classes there, frankly, and, and, and beef up my project management skills if, you know, other integrators and other industry folks that aren't just their customers can take the classes. I say, excellent. Yeah. Good job. It, did, you, did you happen to find information regarding eligibility to attend the classes? Because I couldn't find anything on that. It appeared to me that it was, it was their own internal program for their project managers and their staff. Right. Did, did you um, find anything I, I, like that? I haven't found anything like that, uh, but I, I will certainly that. contact I, Jessica. I yeah, I think we probably need to find out. Because, you know, that's one of the things. I'd be happy to send all my project, project management team to uh, 
to an academy like that. It would be great, great benefit because, you know, we, we got guys with PMP certifications and things like that in construction and whatnot. And um, as you know, the, the PM process for AV is different. You know, the way you interact with the user and and all the resources that are required and anything, you know, I'm on board with you. Anything that we can do to further the education of people, let's do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, to that to that point, um, I was scolded on a show I did with uh, John Huntington for uh, a special. (laughs) If you have shameless plug, if you haven't seen it, please go. John Huntington's uh, (laughs) about his haunted uh, hotel. And and George, where can people go to go see to go listen to this this special? iTunes soon, I hope, but now on avnation.tv. Oh, Go bite down. me. Jeez. Listen often, listen early, listen often. I've been telling him a long time to get all those on that iPad or uh, iTunes, iTunes stream. Yep. So here's the deal, though. John, yes. John is an educator as well as a, a longtime IATSE member and a person who's into show control. Anyway, we talked about his haunted hotel in which he does with his school, his class, his seniors, I think. They create this entire uh, sensor-based, IT-frameworked haunted house, right? But one of the first things John said when he agreed to do the show was, yeah, I got a bone to pick. We always talk on this show about that there's no real classific- or education or you know real sort of degree in this well john came by go uh yeah we do it here at brooklyn tech city tech in, in brooklyn new york uh to which i have to do another um mea culpa saying that i've hired several of his guys <laughs> this is where and i'm still George going goes, on that no. yeah don't but so there is more to it than just that so uh uh this is a great thing I think it looks really cool, especially for the CTSD and I. I would say again, this is that: do we go on site or do we not go on site for training? Yeah. Um, this one is one of those I would agree with uh, Don. I would go if I was if I was allowed to uh, be part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would too. But yeah, congratulations to, to AV Jessica and, and all the folks at at AVISPL. So uh, that's the, all the stories in my stack, guys. Do you do anybody have anything anything you want to to pimp promote? Say hey. I've got something, if you don't mind. Yay! (laughs) For anybody who happens to be in the Washington, D.C. area or willing to take a trip, this coming Tuesday and Wednesday is the inaugural GovCom. That's right. Infocom is hosting their very own government-focused trade show, like a mini Infocom. Um, It's going to be a small show this year. It's the first time, but they've got some excellent keynotes and classes lined up. Um, I'm local here and planning to be there covering it for rave and just hanging out with my AV peeps. But, um, and I know some of the other AV tweeps are planning to come into the area for the show, but if you are in or can make it to DC on the first and second, it's at the Washington convention center in Washington, DC and, uh, GovCom 2011. Be there. Thank you. Yeah. I I completely forgot about that. We we talked about it a few, few weeks ago, but I, I completely forgot about GovCom. So yeah, let me let me know. and shoot me a, a line or something. Let me know how it goes because that's that is something kind of interesting. So absolutely, and at the very least, I will be blogging and writing about it for Rave, and I know Excellent. Rave is sending several of their other staffers there to cover it as well. So. Excellent, George. Do you have anything, sir? Mm, not at the moment, except the AV special about John Huntington. Um, you think I was selling ads on the thing, right? And, and where can people listen to that, George? That is av dot uh, avnation tv. Did we put a slap echo on the back of that, right? Um, also, we are looking into making some other shows. So if guys are interested in joining our panel, guys and gals, 
please contact us. We'd love to have you. Yeah, don't get me in trouble, George. Guys and gals, anybody? That's right. Let's hear it for the AV chicks. Hey, the AV chicks have been good contributors to this uh, yes. to this group. Um, you know, even though I haven't uh, been able to be on in, in recent weeks, I do want to throw my congratulations out to Tim Albright and all the contributors of AV Nation and AV Week. We have had over a thousand downloads now in the past ninety days. Yeah. So nice. huge, huge milestone for uh, a project that's uh, less than or just right at three months old. So yeah, three four months old. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was it was pretty cool. So. Um, Excellent. And we and we are to, to that end. And I don't talk about myself very much, but to that end, I, I'm 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 humbly shocked at at the 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 reach of this thing because um, obviously the U.S., which is where we're based, but in Canada, which is where Matt Scott is based, and I, I, you know, he's not the only AV guy, but I think he's the most famous AV guy in in Canada. Um, <laughs> or at least his hair is. He's my favorite AV is. guy. How about, <laughs> yeah, his hair is. But there's also a number of of AV um, people, AV peeps around the world, both in, in the UK and and Russia and, and actually Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, yeah. uh, Norway. It's it's really crazy uh, the number of, of different uh, contacts we've made. So yeah, it's it's, it's kind of cool. So, um, yeah, that's all I've got, guys. Uh, you can check out a, uh, a AV Dawn Dawn Mead uh, on our we- on our website, uh, also on the Rave Pubs Blog Squad. If you don't know where that is, that's ravepubs.com. Uh, Dawn, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You can you can follow her on on uh, Twitter if you'd like at av at av Dawn. Uh, George Tucker. Uh, he is in New York. I'm not going to say where in New York. Just in New York because <laughs> it well, sounded so pained. <laughs> oh, it's George. Yeah. No, I'm I'm thinking about. I don't want to get in the argument about the fact that you're not in New York City, but I I think you're in New York City because you're close enough. So. That's considered New York. No, it's not. To an outsider, No, it's it is. not. George, correct him. It's not New York City. Oh, I'm not going through this again, buddy. Tell it's not New York City. Sorry. Jeez. It's not Manhattan, but it's New York City. No, it's not. I'm three beers short again. I know an argument on this, all right? Okay. Well, we'll take that one offline. You can you can check out George at uh, at his uh, Tucker 2's. Uh, shoot. I have screwed this up. <laughs> Go ahead, George. Tell, tell us your Twitter ID. TuckerTuesdayTypePad.com. Thank you. He also works for uh, the World Stage. And uh, you can follow him at Tucker Twos, at Tucker Twos. Uh, Michael Drainer across uh, from me, he works for Tech Electronics in St. Louis. He's an integrator. Uh, you can find him at Michael Drainer. Uh, if you'd like to to follow me, uh, um, my, mine is at TD Albright. I can't think right now. <laughs> at TD Albright. But more importantly, please do go by the website. It is avnation.tv. avnation.tv. Uh, we have put a survey up there if you would just kind of let us know what you think. It's, it's a way to get feedback from you uh, in addition to the emails. But... Uh, to you know, let us know what you like, what you don't like. You know, we can we can make changes and stuff like that. So, thank you very much for listening, and that's all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>